Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Tech Byte with Mark Strauss. And now, Mark Strauss. Here he is, Mark Strauss. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Coach, and Big Al, and of course, Bulldog. How are you guys? Good. Confused? Well, uh, oh, yeah. oh, oops. I was going to say normal, but that would yeah. be rude, wouldn't it? That's okay. You well, can never mind. You can be rude to me. It's fine. Yeah, it's I, I, I am. I am not understanding. I'm really glad you chose today's topic of NFTs because I don't get it. Well, you're not the only person who doesn't get it. And in fact, I had to really spend some time in my research getting my hand, well, my head wrapped around this because, frankly, this is not something that people that grew up, I think pre-millennial will not understand this at all from the perspective it doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit right. What are we talking about? NFTs are tokens. And do you remember we talked about cryptocurrency? So we're going to let the audience go back a little bit in our episodes where we did a really deep dive in cryptocurrency. So an NFT is literally a basic token. And a token is an idea that you're able to put something and wrap it in a token, and the token, think of it as a Bitcoin. And then that Bitcoin has a ledger attached to it, and that ledger proves that you own this thing that is wrapped in this token. Now, this thing that can be wrapped in the token can be a piece of art. So, for example, at Christie's, a token digital piece of art, an NFT piece of art, sold for, are you ready, drumroll, $69 $69 million. It's almost the highest piece of art ever sold at Christie's, and it happened since 2000, and it's happened <clears throat> just recently, and this is super important, because in the last 20 years, people have now become accustomed to actually paying for virtual things. And where did that happen? Computer games, loot boxes. This idea that you buy something with a digital with a currency... And then that currency is converted to a digital facsimile of something that has equal worth. Now, think about what I just said. You buy something with real money, and then they give you a loot box in a game that is virtual, that does not exist, that only exists in the digital world, but it does have an existed value because that value was a subjective value that you, the end user, prescribed to it. can, Can I resell that for real money? Yes, you can, because okay. that's why it's called a fungible, fungible, I thought it's called a non-fungible, a fungible tan, uh, yeah. token. I thought it's right, non-fungible. It is, but it's a fungibility means interchangeable with something else. And so basically a non-fungible token means that it remains its unique value, but you can still exchange it for an equal token of equal value. So oh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. If my token, all right, let, let's go with your example. I took $69 million of my money. Hold right. on, let, let, me, let me think about this for a second. I just want to think what it's like to have $69 million. Okay, $69 million of my money, and I exchanged it for a, a piece of artwork that was created by Mr. Mark Strauss. Now you have the 69 million US dollars. I have this piece of a virtual artwork. It's not even a piece. It's your music. Let's just say I, I bought 
the diary of a technician. That's a not, that could be right. one of them, right? Correct. I own this now. I could I could do what I want with it or not. Like, can I can I? Well, you see that <laughs> now that is intrinsically. You see, Bulldog, you are now going into an esoteric area that even I, with all the literature that I actually read about last night, mm-hmm. was a little bit hazy about because this is really interesting. What about common use of that artwork? Right. So you own the artwork, that $69 million piece of artwork, but now someone else is using it somewhere else in the world. Well, technically, you do have ownership of that by the token, but do you actually have the legal ability to stop someone from using or misrepresenting that token? No, you do not. Is it like buying publishing rights to a song? Yes, it is. But that would be a great that so, would be a great analogy, but it's a little bit different than that even. Okay. Because that song, when you get a publishing right, means that the government and the legal system is honoring your um, your property, and they have made a concise property assertion that that song is owned by you. Now, when we get into these tokens, is a completely different world. What I mean by that is. You can now own anything digitally, and you obtain ownership with it. And the reason it's non—it's it, so technically non-exchangeable—is this idea that the token will remain and keep its value. So, if you have a sixty-nine million-dollar token, and that's the assigned value of that art, no one else can exchange that token or mess with that token because, do you remember, it all goes back to the ledger. But once the ledger says you own this thing at that value, the ledger always states that, and it can't be changed. No, no, no. So the but, prescribed value but, is in the ledger. But can the prescribed value of this thing change in the fact that now Big Al wants my token? Now, I, pay, I gave you $69 million for that token, for, to, to have that in, in, in my ledger. I'm not, I don't want to part with it, but Al just offered me... A hundred million dollars. Now I'm willing to transfer this to him. Yes or no? Correct. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can do that. Okay. And you see, that's why to me these terms non yeah. uh, non uh, fungible or or fungible really are interchangeable because at yeah, yeah. the point that you do that transfer, it has become a transferable asset. Right. But the reason it's called non fungible is because you can't dilute its value by exchanging it or by, by manipulation, because the ledger predetermines the value that was set by human beings. This is where this thing gets surreal. How, okay? how is it any so, different than a regular transaction? I don't get it. It isn't, except you're owning something that you can't physically own with physical uh, means. So how do you own something digitally? You can't own it. So this has been, this is a new way to create a value for something that is virtual, prescribe the value, and allow you to own that value. Question. And I think that's pretty amazing. Well, cool. So let, let me, let me okay. give you some ideas here. Right. I want people to understand what's going on because people okay. are probably right now with both of us going back and forth with this. I'm not getting the full feel for this. So let's go to, to back to 2017 because it's only been around since 2017. So this is really new. It all started with CryptoKitties, a game in which end users could buy outfits and add-ons for their little kitties. And they used a cryptocurrency technique of creating a blockchain ledger 
to basically keep all the little kitty um, add-ons together. What made Crypto Kitty really interesting is you could add on to your kitty. For example, you could put armor on your kitty. You could put boots on your kitty, a hat. You could give this kitty a sword. You could give it a shield. And every one of those items could be added on to the kitty um, to, to, to the kitty virtual um, items that the kitty owns. And the way the kitty owned all that is the kitty got a token, and that token prescribed all the items that the kitty owned virtually. And in 2017, that was the beginning. And then some very big, big people got involved called the NBA, and they did something called Top Shot that allowed users to buy, now this is really amazing to me, clips of highlights of those players' exceptional moments. So highlight reel of the exceptional a hoop or something that the basketball player had achieved, and they, you can buy that little snippet of video, and now you own that highlight video. And how much money do you guys think the NBA made, or this Top Shot company made for the NBA, for selling completely virtual, this is only since October 2020, so guys, less than a year, how much money do you think has been made selling virtual clips? Billion dollars. Uh I'm going to say a half a billion dollars. What do you say, okay. Coach? I have guys, no idea. I got a billion. I know. A million dollars. It, I don't, it I don't all know. means nothing to me, though. Yeah. It's they virtual have, currency. I don't, right, I mean, so, I, I, I don't they, so, so far, $338 million worth of these these tokens have been bought. Okay, but I think Big Al and I were, I think both of us were talking tongue-in-cheek when you said a billion. I said half a billion. Are you kidding me? It's three hundred and some odd million dollars in virtual clips that you take. If you took that clip, I own it. Can I put it on YouTube for the whole world to see now, or what? Or you have to come to my house to watch. You it? own it. You own it. Well, Rob, it's yeah. like owning your own little movie. You can do so, whatever the heck you want with so it. So there's no. Copyright? I don't understand. I don't understand the perceived value because subjectively it means nothing to me. So this is why I wanted to get into the edge. What is it? You actually own on anything today. So if I own, for example, a phone, I physically touch it, own it. I know I have it. Right. Now I have a virtual asset. How do I know I own it? And why is it important to me? And where does its value come from? I, this is where I, I was blown away. Well, because can't you at first, I'm, uh, go Mark, ahead. Can, can, I, can I just go back a second? Follow the money. There's got to be money involved here. When when you made the when whoever bought that sixty nine million dollar virtual token or uh, NFT, somebody made a percentage, a commission. Was it Christie's or, or who made the commission? Somebody's oh, behind Christie this. made a commission, and then there's a repository just that, like with blockchain that's called OpenSea, and OpenSea keeps all the ledgers. That's it. So there's the money, and there's your trading house. You're, so, you know, just like in stocks and bonds. Okay. All that infrastructure has to be around for it to have some value. But let's get into something okay. that everyone will understand but not understand. You see, at first I thought, this is ridiculous. Why would anyone want to go and buy a clip of an NBA clip and own it? Because during they could actually see the highlight on a regular video. Or if they look at that game, they could see, they could see what the athlete did. They, they don't have to go and spend money to own that specific 30-second clip. However, then explain this to me. How about a baseball card from 1909 of Ty Cobb that's worth $300,000 on eBay? 
Is that subjective enough for you? What about the fact that when you buy an airplane ticket, and if you buy it one week before you travel, you pay a rate, but the guy who paid one day before travel has a different rate, and the person who paid for the ticket six months ago has a different rate, but you're all sitting on the same plane, on the same economy seats, but you all have different rates. That means that really that ticket had a subjective price, and it was based on how much you were willing to pay for the service. So the service for one day had a much higher rate to you, and you agreed to pay it as the person who paid for the ticket three months in advance. But you're all sitting with the same subjective value ticket. Think about that. Well, yeah, so it, so it just it, it, doesn't this all just go back to supply and demand? Yes. So I, I don't know. I don't even. even more I, amazing. I just think it's another way for for that. What was it called? C. Who was the C? What? The, who gets the like the coin base of this? Is who? A cryptocurrency yeah, uh, and Bitcoin. Uh, uh, no, of the NFTs. Who's getting that? Where, where did you say the ledger? Oh, Open C. Open C. Open C. Well, Mark, is is Open C uh, a publicly traded company yet? I don't know the answer to that, Bulldog. That I did not go into because well, I, I was. I would invest in that if, if people start to believe in this. I would invest in Open C because that's the only ones making money on this deal. Well, if I bought a Top Shot, let's say I buy, I'm into buying highlight reels, and I buy a bunch of these Top Shot highlights, and then I make a subscription page to watch the Top Shots I own. Can I make revenue off that? Of course, you own it. It's just, it's just, it's back like where you, so you guys, can't, make, you can't reproduce deal. Major League Baseball without the risk written, you know, express right. written so, consent. Yeah. yeah, so let's talk about this. The value of those computer gamers that are top in their field that do these virtual tournaments that actually are starting to, um, they will actually sell their progress to other players that, that are less strong. And they will actually have, there's actually distribution of, your grind, you know, with grind is a common term in gaming, meaning you spend a lot of time acquiring these items and you sell those items to someone else for real money. That is a subjective transaction. And the truth is, Bulldog, you would say that is the stupidest thing in the world because why are you selling your clothes virtually? That makes no sense. And yet that person who's receiving those clothes with the wait, 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 I'm getting the top armor in the game. This has total value to me because I'm going to have fun with this armor, and that fun equals value equals, for me, right. justification to spend money. And I believe the new economy that's emerging is all about that. People are now starting to choose how they want to participate in the economy, and I think NFTs are a remarkable instrument that could actually create new markets and new ways for people to express themselves. However, the dark side and the edge of all this is it's a form of ownership that is brand new. It's based on non-tangible items, and I believe it's also ripe for abuse because how could you prove if you're on an exotic island, for example, on holiday and someone's trying to sell you an NFT that he's actually the owner of that NFT if he claims he's that person? Well, you go to so OpenSea and you go to the ledger. Exactly, but you can still go to the ledger, and it doesn't prove that that person owns it from the perspective of just human beings owning things on a ledger. Just any transaction. There's going to be all kinds of abuses. There's but ultimately, good. But ultimately, those abuses are going to be very, very small compared to the value that subjective 
and the subjective economy offers because it offers, for example, and I'm going to give a really good example. We get Bulldog set up with Flight Simulator 2020, and Bulldog really likes that plane that I've got, and I've spent hours building it, and Bulldog gives me some money so that I will transfer the plane over to his computer so he can fly the plane I've been working on because I've been putting add-ons to the plane. Great. Only Bulldog and I will see value in that transaction. Other people will think it's dumb. And I think that's amazing. That is a new economy, and that's my tech bite today, that NFTs hold a lot of potential, and I recommend any investor to really look into them because I think they are going to take off. And again, you got to look at this as a brand new way of looking at money, subjective well, money. Okay. All right. So go, uh, you keep saying subjective money. It's still based on a, a the dollar. It well, all goes. Yes, it all goes. But the value that, so, yeah. of that token yeah. is subjective. Would you pay ninety six million dollars or sixty nine million or or even ten million for a piece of digital art? I doubt it. That's not your priority. No. But if you're a collector in the art world, but, you already own your Rembrandts and Picassos. Mar- what's next? But Mark, there's people out there that wouldn't pay. You know, a million dollars for a uh, an old Duesenberg because that's not what they're interested in. So somehow it, ha- right. it has a value, only a perceived value. Well, it has a value based on the fact that people are willing to buy into it. Once people buy into this thing, just like cryptocurrency and everything else, it's going to have that perceived value, and then it's going to be a, a formidable, uh, a, a real form of of currency. I, I this this makes perfect sense to me. I just don't. It, it's not my thing, but uh, but I get it, and I think OpenSea is the one that I'm more interested in. That, oh, that, absolutely, and that, I would recommend to users to look into this. This is definitely a new economy that, if you look at its growth just in three years, or since 2017, four years, it's been a staggering, literally staggering. And the stuff that they're doing with this yeah. is amazing. And again, I think a subjective economy is okay. And I'm calling it a subjective economy because it's very different than an objective economy. Objective, for me, means you can objectify, see the items. You're buying reality. Okay. Now we got the subjective economy where the value is mine only and the, the person selling to me. That's the only two values that count. Okay. So yeah, I, it's like me yeah. going to buy some some uh, bubble gum, and to me, bubble gum's the best thing in the world, and I'll pay ten thousand dollars for that bubble gum, but the other person will go, "That has no value to me." And the uh, the scenario I brought up, apparently, when I'm getting some other uh, it, listeners are chiming in saying that I cannot monetize off of mine. I cannot. I don't own the rights to it, like like a musician owns rights to a song. I can't put those clips up and say, "View my channel, my my NBA highlights that I." If I've you purchased. own it, you can't. You own it, but you can't have the rights to resell it or to monetize off of it, according to a couple of the uh, uh, okay. uh, attorney, I, law professor Deegan. I, 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 I don't. Uh, well, see, now that's that's, that's an really area where now, see, now let me explain the yeah. NBA NBA talk show. Uh-huh. I mean, talk shot was really interesting to me because I was wondering that last night. I was looking at these going. Well, if I was to actually show that clip, it's owned by the league. Yeah. So how yeah. the how the hell did the clip get sold to me? I, I don't understand yeah, that I, dynamic. You, you know what? This is this, this to me. We uh, we got to yeah. run, Mark. But um, we'll. I'd love to continue this conversation. Can we do part two next week? Yeah, we okay. can do part two. Make it we'll easy on yourself. On it. Okay, Thanks, sounds buddy. good. Thank you, Mark. Mark Strauss, everybody. We will talk soon.
Appreciate thank it. You, thank you, Bulldog. Thank Bart. you, everyone. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, that's some pretty wild. Well, it, it is and it isn't. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll okay. get back into it in just a second. Uh, but right now, joining us, legendary guitarist Steve Cropper. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Glad to be here. Thank nice, you. Nice to have you here. Really nice to have you here. And and congrats on the new album. Yeah. Thanks very much. It's you know, doing I, pretty good so far. So is, is doing Let's okay. Good. Yeah, everything's <laughs> fine. I'm real happy about this album too because uh, it's a party album and that's all it is. And it'll come and go like everything else. But I think everybody is ready to party again and dance again. And it's a dance record. First real dance record I've made since the '60s. So. Now, I was reading about this, and, and this one just came to you during COVID. Well, I mean, <laughs> it came to John Tim, and he had all these tracks of songs that we had written, and had, none of them had been finished. And so I have to tell you, when you listen to the record, all of the vocals, 100% of them, were done through an iPhone. Wow, <laughs> really? Yeah, because the singer, no way he could fly down to Nashville and sing, so he sang at home. All right. Sent so- us a few things. We said, man, this is great. Keep it up. And he did <laughs> that's some technology it yes. is that'll work and and you uh you approved of the sound quality absolutely now we mixed it through pro tools but we didn't change the sound of the vocal any we just had the ability to bring it up louder or, or softer so so no no you had already written the tracks yeah uh, okay they, they've been laying around for a while <laughs> and they, they're mainly were grooves that i've had in my head for years and uh, we were writing them basically for felix cavalier project that we were doing Okay. And uh, he he played on a couple of tracks on this album, and we got his permission to use it. And he said at the time, he said, "You know, I'm probably not going to play on the rest of these tracks, and I'm definitely not going to sing them." So we just I just forgot about them and pushed them aside. And I said, "Okay." <laughs> and you said they were just in your head, and they just decided to come out one day. They did. <laughs> That's why I do everything. It happens on the spot usually, so it's mainly improv. Uh, let, let, let's start with the way you do everything. I, I, I've been doing this for, I'd say, a long time. And uh, probably one of the most impressive lists of people you've worked with ever of anybody I've enter, ever interviewed. I, never, I, I know who yeah. you are, Steve, but never realized the amount of people you've, you've been associated with in your career. And I've been a lucky guy, that's all I can say. Well, right that, place, right time. Yeah, I think there may be something <laughs> more has something to do it. with it. <laughs> Maybe. So, well, I think yeah. success has something to do with it. You know, you when you do good at something, somebody always wants you to do something else. And I'm one of those guys, I just go to the next project. And I forget about the last one, I go to the next one. I've always done that. What was the first one, your first project? <laughs> Probably my first high school band Okay, project. Okay. And that, that band, it changed its name, but we had the hit, number three in the world, last night. da 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 and and I had been asked for years, what do you, why do you think that song was such a hit? And I got to thinking, I said, well, I remember the first time I played it for my mom, she started doing a twist, so I assumed that it was the first twist instrumental that people could do that dance to. And then a the year later, we had Green Onions, which you know about that one. I mean, that's we, we, played we, today. Still. Play every we day. play it every single morning. We play Green Onions. Oh, that's, yeah. that's our surf report music. Every day. <laughs> yeah. Every day. Well, yeah. I'll admit that I'm part of it, but I feel a little bit removed. That was so long ago we did that, so long ago. Yeah, but it still stays. It, it I listen on. to it, and it still sounds good today, and I go, I can't believe that's me playing. It's, it's great. Now, now, was that your, you know, did you just start making putting that groove together? I mean, Well, no, that was, uh, the, the melody itself is not the, the bass line and all that. That's an old blues lick that's years ago okay. that Louis, Louis Steinberg, the bass player, came up with, and I just doubled oh. it. 
Oh, but the God. checks on the front, that was my idea, and I was doing that in the middle as a solo. Right. And Jim Stewart, who engineered. Oh, no. You didn't just do that, Al. Did you really just cut that off, Al? A one-time solo. <laughs> I hit him so hard you could hear the dial. He, he almost turned me off, but he backed yeah. me off so quick he almost turned me off. And well, you can hear him gradually bringing my level back up. <laughs> I'll check, I'll That's check how out. raw that song is. It's real and, raw. And, 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 and can you answer the question once and for all? The MG, what 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 does it stand for? <laughs> is it a car? Is it? It stands for a lot of things. <laughs> Musical uh, genius? I, I don't know. Well, Duck said that one time. But anyway, <laughs> it, it originally it was for the car because we had the Triumphs, and it was for about a Triumph MG. And uh, uh, Wayne Lincoln Wayne Moman, Chips Moman, had a had one, and that's what we named it after. And they they had come off the hit uh, by the Triumphs called Burnt Biscuits. Okay, which was a big instrumental in uh, I forget what year it was, sixties, mm -hmm. fifty nine or sixty, and uh, and then we followed up with uh, like I said last night, and then Green Onions and Green Onions DMGs, and they said uh, we got a letter after the record came out, and it was hitting, and and so we got a letter from the lawyers of British Motors saying they didn't want to be connected with anything musical. They didn't oh. want to be connected with any music. You'll have to change your name. So the record company says, guys, we got to change the name. I said, we're not changing the name. So that's what we came up with, the Memphis Group. I said, now it'll be the Memphis Groups. <laughs> the difference of today, living long enough, if Booker and I went out on tour, it'd be Booker T and EMG. Because everybody else, all the other MGs are gone except me. I'm the only one left. <laughs> oh, in the MG. <laughs> Singular. Look at the MG. There you go. Well, that's awesome. There, you know what? That's great to finally hear the real story because I've heard so many different uh, names. Well, it was. Originally, it was the car. That was yeah. back in 61 and, uh, or 60 when we did it. And uh, yeah. we, we changed it. Duck said, uh, well, I know what it stands for. We were doing a record for Columbia, and he said, Somebody asked, well, what does MG really say for? He says, musical genius. That's I'm right, going, right. Not right. me, not me. I'm not part of that. Okay. Maybe you are, but I'm not. So, we, so we got to mention this. Uh, the new album, Steve Crapper's new album, Fire It Up. It, it's Fire it Up. It, it, it's available on all platforms now for folks. Right? It's released yeah. and available. You can get it everywhere. Absolutely. On any venue they want to log on to. It's, it's, it's available at YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, Mascot.com, stevecropper.com, playitsteve.com. <laughs> you, you can download it or you can get the CD if you want. Is, so. is there a reason you always play a Telecaster? We have a couple questions people ask. I have through life, yeah. I started out with uh, a Gibson Birdland and, you know, other Gibsons and different things. And found out the Birdland I had was the best sounding guitar for the Marquis. And it, it, my hands, I started growing and my hands got too big for the neck. So I let it go and went to a uh, tele, uh, an Esquire, actually, is, which is just a one-pickup Telecaster. It's all an Esquire is, basically. And if you take the pickguard off, it's already milled out in, in the wood for the second pickup. But you don't see it because there's a pickguard over it. Gotcha. Uh, that ended, yeah, explain answer. that. There's your answer there's for that. So on Green Onions, it was an Epiphone. I mean, it was an Esquire, a Fender Esquire. Okay. And uh, I also used one on uh, the Licks on uh, Dock of the Bay. I pull out one of my Esquires, my old white one. And that guitar, it's out of the, the Green Energy guitar I don't have, don't know where it is. I don't even know if it still exists. But the other one I had, and it's at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. How cool is that? It's really cool. You ever, you ever think Pretty that cool. your, your guitar would wind up at the Smithsonian? 
I did not. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it, like I said, Steve, it, I encourage everybody, just look up Steve Cropper. Go through the list of people and, and, and places you've been and the people you play with. It's amazing, Steve. You must pinch yourself when you look at that thing. <laughs> Every now and then. Man. Somebody was reading me some stuff the other day, and I said, damn, I want to meet that guy one of these days. <laughs> I, that's what I felt like last night. I, I Listen, I, I appreciate the time. I know our time's yeah. short, but uh, uh, Fire It Up is the name of the album. Steve Cropper's new one, legendary guitar player, producer, and, and thank you for your time. I really, really do uh, it. My pleasure. Glad to do it. All right. And then and every any, morning we get you, you guys can do to help this record, that'd be great. Look, uh, we're going to yeah. fire it up. I yeah, promise this year, you. This year, 2021. I'm sorry, not 19 what, anything. Where did you... 66, I guess, was the first record, or 67, uh-huh. and now this one in 2021. We're going to play it today. How about All that? Right, babe. Appreciate All right. it. Thanks, Thanks Steve. Steve. All right. All right. What a How about that? Steve Cropper. I mean, he wrote, you know, played on this song. We play it every single morning. That's Lee's song is, uh, is, is that. All right, it's 930, and joining us right now, we've got uh, Holly Robinson. Pete, good morning, Holly. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. How you doing? We're doing good. How about that? Steve Cropper just opened up for you. Wasn't that pretty, pretty cool? Impressive. That's that's pretty cool. I love that. That was, that was cool. I was listening to that interview. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and you know, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm doing. Yesterday was a great night doing my research and stuff. I I don't think I realized until last night. Gordon was your dad. I know. I'm telling you, that's I amazing. Didn't know until last night, I didn't know that. Really? I never knew yes, that. Yes, but you grew up on Sesame. Yeah, it's it's crazy. No, I mean, can you imagine? Like, I'll never forget. I was living in Philly, and my dad came home and told me, you know, he got this new great gig in New York, and it was takes place on a city street on a brownstone, and it's a kid show. And I got to go back and forth to New York, and I was like, yeah, good luck with that show. Hope it lasts. <laughs> well, it did. <laughs> And 50 years later, here we are. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and, you, and you were, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that was your first walk-on role, I read as well. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. I still I still am traumatized by it because <laughs> I was supposed to go on, and I, I wanted to go on a lot, and everyone on my block in Philly got to go up to New York and be on the show. But my dad didn't really want me to be in show business. <laughs> He thought if I went up there and started hanging out with Cookie Monster and Oscar that, you know, I would want to be an actor, and we see how that turned out. Yeah. Um, but I had one line I was supposed to say, hi, Gordon, and I kept saying, hi, Daddy, so, Aww. yeah. That, uh, what a great story that is. Who's your favorite Sesame Street character? Oh, I'd have to say I love Big Bird because he was the first character I actually met um, in person, so that's pretty cool. But my dad voiced a character that was on short, briefly called Roosevelt Franklin, and he was amazing. Um, and he's not on a, he, he, you know, he was only on early on when my dad was on the show, but he was a pretty awesome uh, character. And I encourage you guys to look up some old Roosevelt uh, skits that are just pretty amazing. He was a pretty funky Muppet. So, so at, at any point, uh, did you realize how cool it was to have your dad on that show? While he was on it. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm just making so, sure. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I realized it early. That's why I was so bitter about not getting on. I'm like, wait, where's the nepotism? My dad is Gordon. I can't get on the show. Um, but when I was when I was five, that was the show, like, right? And my yeah. dad was, was the star of it. So, yeah, yeah it was pretty, pretty cool. Okay. Um, and I absolutely loved, um, you know, everything about the show. And I was so upset with him when he decided to move on from it. 
Got it. Well, you know, because you, sometimes you talk, you talk to people and, and they're, you know, kids of stars. And it's like, well, he was just my dad. You know, it's just, that's what it was. But no, that, that's pretty cool that you realized it. That's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did pretty early on. Pretty early on. And, and just knew what a great show it was and how remarkable it was. Blown away that it's lasted 50 years. And by the way, I did get to go back on a couple years ago for the first time and make up for that uh, flubbed line. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. All right, here we're here to talk about another show. We're here to talk morning show mysteries, murder ever after. This is on Hallmark, uh, a different channel, different thing. And tell us what's going on with Billy Blessings. Oh, Billy Blessings. She's an interesting one. She is. This is our sixth movie in this um, mystery wheel installment. Lots of fun. She is a talk show host. Um, who is also a chef, a restaurateur, and she's always solving crimes. People just keep dying around her for some reason. So <laughs> she's a very nosy lady who's always trying to figure things out. These are movies that are inspired by Al Roker's Morning Show Murders novels, and so he's an executive producer of it, and it's a lot of fun to do. Um, really enjoying uh, doing these mysteries, and, you know, got to shoot one over the last year, which was uh, kind of a blessing just to be able to work you know over the last year and got to go back up to vancouver to do that gotcha yeah just being able to work over the last year has been a blessing we could attest to that yes so very lucky all right so the, uh and and this is on well i guess this one is on this sunday correct uh no no morning sh morning show mystery oh. will be on oh, may it. 23rd okay I'm, I'm thinking april it's may I, i'm i'm a month yeah. behind okay that's all right. That's all right. We're all but, getting this together. But you could catch up on uh, the other ones. You could find them. Yes, yes. You can. You can look. You can binge all of them. Um, and that's what's so. You know, obviously, that's what all I did for the last year is binge shows and movies. And so, got to watch things. And you know, speaking of stuff that you, you know, kids that don't appreciate how cool their parents are. My kids, I realized during this last year, had a lot of them, well, I have a lot of them, I have four kids. Some of the kids had never seen any of my old shows and decided to, like, binge them, right? They yeah. watched all of the 21 Jump Streets. They watched all the Hangouts Mr. Coopers. And they were like, wow, Mom, those are pretty good shows. I'm like, uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> they didn't realize. <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> I mean, they knew, that I, they knew that I was on them, but they didn't care, right? Yeah. They just, it's just. Didn't think it was cool, and then they watched the shows. and They're like, "That's pretty cool." I, uh, <laughs> but uh, the other day I did. I'm doing a little recurring part of a new reboot on the Proud Family, and you would have thought I was like, got a movie opposite Travis Scott or something. They're like, "Oh my God, Mom, you're doing a Proud Family reboot?" They think that's really cool. So who knows what these hey, kids like? Hey, you know what, Holly? I think it's cool. You were on Celebrity Apprentice, just to put you where I am. I, I love that. You know? Oh my God! Well, I did win six hundred thousand yeah. uh, dollars for Holly Rod Foundation for autism, but I lost to Brett Michael. So yeah, I remember that. I, I, oh. I've been a big fan of that show. Yeah. Every hey, rose has its thorn, you know. Speaking of Holly Rod, yeah, uh, <laughs> good one. Yeah, good one. Uh, Holly Rod Foundation. I explain what that is. Yeah, so we, for over 20 years now, we've been raising funds and awareness for families impacted by uh, autism and Parkinson's disease, which my dad had. So my dad, who we, we, we talked about, um, was diagnosed with Parkinson's in his 40s, and this was in the 80s, so we, we didn't really know a whole lot about it. We didn't see Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox yet, so 
we started uh, Holly Rod to help families impacted by Parkinson's, and then when our son was diagnosed with autism, we expanded our mission, and we do some pretty cool things. We do job training. We work with organizations to hire these kids, and, you know, it's when kids with autism get jobs, it changes their life, and I know firsthand my son, who was told when he was three he would never had meaningful employment, got a job with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the players all, all presented to him yesterday with the World Series ring, and I'm still crying oh, wow. to this moment. Congratulations. Yeah, so it was, a, it was pretty cool. I posted a video of it on my Instagram. Check that out. But just a really amazing thing. And in the end, it's just about these kids, um, young people, when they grow older, they need a community. They need jobs. They need to be, um, you know, they need self-advocacy. And, and uh, it's pretty cool. It's a game changer when you hire a young person on the spectrum or with any special need. All right. And, and isn't this uh, National Autism Awareness Month, April? It is. Yeah. April is National Autism Awareness Month, and ironically, it's also Parkinson's Awareness Month. So for both of our missions, it's a big month for us. And Holly, everyone in your family getting props? I'm not letting your husband out. Look, unbelievable. He, he's in the shadows here of this uh, unbelievable quarterback we were missing out on. Oh, uh, my hubby, yeah, that's my quarterback, as they say. And... And he, he's a great, he's a great guy and has, you know, played for 16 years and was a big star at USC and, and, uh, he's doing radio now too. He does a show at AM 570 in LA. It's actually ironically Dodgers and Lakers, uh, radio. And so it's pretty cool. He's, in, he's enjoying radio and I, uh, you know, put him under the stairs, which is where he does it from the house. Um, and. <laughs> a Heisman Trophy runner oh, nice. up under the stairs. He doesn't belong there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, he's living so like nice. Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, the Rodney I'm like, Pete go show. under the stairs. <laughs> go do your job under the stairs, hon. Yeah. But I love it. And I'm a big, I'm a big sports fan, so um, I'm always weighing in on, on stuff. And he's like, just you, you stay in your lane, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, your lane is wide. You've done a lot of things. Holly Robinson, Pete, again, if you want to check out, you set your, uh, your, your calendar for uh, uh, May 23rd is the uh, uh, Morning Show Mysteries, Murder Ever After. But you could always catch up on that, as I said now. Easy to catch up on these things on the Hallmark Channel. So. Yes, that's right. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you, Holly. Holly. Take care. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Likewise. Bye-bye.